Thank you, Azure, for that offertory this evening. It was great to see Azure playing the piano, our young people taking the uh, offering this evening. I'm just delighted to see such an integral part. Oftentimes, the young people are referred to as the future of the church. And I know why, and indeed they are, but they're not just the future of the church, they are the church. And uh, we're so thankful that uh, our young people are not just looking to the future for an opportunity to serve, but they're serving now. And God has blessed us with a lot of young people and uh, children. Uh, Would you do me a favor? If you're 18 years or younger, would you stand tonight? 18 years or younger, would you stand? Yeah, look at that good group of young people. That's neat. All right, you can be seated. Thank you. Thank you. So, the future is bright. Tonight, we are going to consider the goodness of God. Definition from Stephen Charnock is the goodness of God is the inclination to deal well and bountifully with his creatures. It has been said that power is the principle of God's action. Wisdom is the rule of his action. And goodness is the motivation of his action. The goodness of God. In the scripture, the reason most often cited for giving thanks to God is due to his goodness. Now, that's not exclusive. There are other reasons to be thankful for God, to be sure. But the reason most often given, and I certainly didn't include all of the verses tonight for that would have been a great many. But the reason that is most often given for giving of thanks is because God is good. For example, Psalm 106, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Why? For he is good. For his loving kindness is everlasting. Psalm 107, verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Why? For he is good. For his loving kindness is everlasting. We are told repeatedly in the scriptures that we are to praise God for his goodness. Psalm 107 focuses on praising the Lord for his goodness. Psalm 107.15 Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Psalm 107.21 Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works for the children of men. And then Psalm 107, verse 31. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. The glory of the Lord is epitomized by his goodness. Moses, when he was on the mount, asked God to show Moses God's glory. And then in verse 19, God said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. And then it tells us, we will proclaim the name of the Lord before you, and I will be gracious to all be gracious, show compassion on whom I will show compassion. These are all emanations of his goodness. But as Moses wanted to see the glory of God, God said, I will make all my goodness pass 
before you. You will see my character. You will understand my ways. And you will understand that they are good. God is a glorious God because He is good. So tonight, what is meant by the goodness of God? First, we understand that God is uniquely good. Or, putting it in another vernacular, God alone is good. In Mark chapter 10, verse 18, we have an incident recorded when the rich young ruler came to see Jesus. And uh, he addressed Jesus as a good rabbi. And so Jesus seizes on that appellation that the rich young ruler gave to Jesus. And he said, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God. Now when he said that, Jesus is not denying his deity. He is not saying that he is not God when he states that no one is good except God. Rather, Jesus is calling to the man's attention what the man is really saying about Jesus when he calls Jesus good. In other words, does this rich young ruler really understand what he's saying to Jesus when he says, Jesus, you are good? And the reason Jesus points this out is because the rich young ruler views himself as good. Views himself as, as a good person. In fact, he's going to ask the question of Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus recites some commandments. And the man said, well, I've done all those things since I've been a child. I've followed God's commands. I'm a good person. And then Jesus said to him, well, then sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. We're not to understand from that that the way to eternal life is by selling everything we have and giving it to others. He was saying that to the rich young man because the rich young ruler didn't want to sell all that he had and give it to the poor. He didn't really love his neighbor as he loved himself. And so, Jesus is trying to reveal to the rich young ruler who viewed himself as good, that he wasn't really good, and there's only one who is, and that's God. So God in his person is good. Goodness is at the very core of God. Theologians speak of God as originally good. This means that goodness originates or comes from God. No one makes or has made God good. He is intrinsically good. No one polices God. Last week, I said that God is accountable to no one. He is all-powerful. He is the sovereign king. No one stands in judgment over God. This is another way to say it tonight when we say that no one polices God. No one make sure that God is good. He polices himself, as it were. No one has brought pressure to bear upon God so that he would be good. And no one has instructed God in goodness or how to be good. No one trained God up to be good. No one instructed God in goodness. He simply is 
good. And then secondly, God is the source of all goodness found in others. God is the source of moral goodness in mankind. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Thus, the desire to do good comes from God. God is the source of the expression of every kind of goodness in mankind. Ephesians 5.9 For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Thus, the good to accomplish good comes from God. God is good in His will. God determines to do good. You are good, the psalmist says. And God takes pleasure in determining to do good. Declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times to which have not been done, saying, My purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. There, the adjective good is modifying pleasure. The pleasure of God is good. All too often, we delight in evil. We delight in things that aren't good, that aren't appropriate, that aren't beneficial to ourselves or others. Mark Twain was pretty cynical. He said, uh, don't tell people your troubles. Half the people don't care, and the other half are glad of them. Uh, God does not rejoice in our calamities, in our hardships, in our difficulties. God delights in doing good. Uh, Mark Twain also said, some people are the happiest when they're making other people miserable. Uh, You know, unfortunately, some people like that, that are the happiest when they're making other people miserable. That is not the character of God. So God is good in His actions. God not only intends to do good, but in fact accomplishes that intention. You are good, and what you do is good. God extends, God's goodness extends to all His attributes. God is powerful enough to do good. God is wise enough to do good. We could go on and say God is holy enough to do good. God is justice enough to do good. God is able to do good, and He does good. So God is good in His beneficence or bounty. He is abundant in goodness. Exodus 34, verse 6. And the Lord passed by before Him. That's before Moses. We're back to the passage where Moses prayed and asked God to show him his good, uh, show him his glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. Now, Exodus 34, 6. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in goodness and truth. That he overflows in his goodness. Last week we looked at he is abundant in his power. He's also abundant in his goodness. Psalm 33, verse 5. He loves righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Now, one way in which we can understand God's goodness 
is the fact that God not only supplies our need, but we find that in God we have more than we need. He is abundantly good in supplying us with ample food. You know the story well. Mark chapter 14. Jesus feeds the multitude. The multitude have gathered together to hear Jesus. Jesus tests his disciples and says, how are we going to feed all these people? And the disciples are clueless. And he says, what do you have? And they search and they find a boy that's got five loaves and two fishes. Mark, Matthew 14, 19. And he, that is Jesus, commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass and took the five loaves and the two fishes. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and break and gave the loaves to his disciples and his disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up the fragments that remained, twelve baskets full. So, why twelve baskets full? I would submit to you for two reasons. First, twelve baskets for twelve disciples. The disciples are passing out the food. They get all done. Everybody's eaten their fill. And each one comes back with a full basket. A full basket. Why? Why, some would say, waste food? Because God was demonstrating not only does he have the power to meet the need, but he has the power to abundantly meet the need. He not only could satisfy, but he could go beyond satisfaction. After they were filled, there was still food to be eaten. Because God is bountiful in his goodness. We can't exhaust the goodness of God. We, we can't experience all the blessings of God. Because he is so abundant in goodness, there is always a reservoir. There is always a storehouse. There is always much more than anything that we could experience. We cannot exhaust the goodness of God. Secondly, he is abundantly good in supplying us with good tasting and pleasing food. Not only does God supply our need, but God is so beneficent in the way in which he provides our need. We look at the uh, Adam and Eve in the garden. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. They were good for food. They provided Adam and then eventually Eve with all they needed to eat. But notice that it wasn't just good tasting, but it was pleasing to the eye. Now, my wife enjoys entertaining, and she is not only concerned about how things are, uh, how they taste, but how they're presented. How the plate looks, you know, that it isn't just bland, but it's colorful and has all these things. 
Now, I'm the kind of guy that I don't care how it looks. I just like to eat, okay? Uh, it can look pretty bad as far as I'm concerned if it tastes good going down. But you see, God delights not only in meeting our need, not only in providing us with food, but in providing us with food that is pleasing to the eye. See, He is abundantly good in supplying us a variety of good-tasting food. And the Lord made... Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. It's all about His goodness. Now, I have been spending two weeks on each attribute. Can't exhaust them in two weeks by any means. But I've been spending two weeks on each attribute. And next week, I'm going to be spending a lot of time on the creation. For it speaks of God's goodness in an abundant fashion. Application. The Thanksgiving feast is a celebration of God's bounty. It's a celebration of God's provision. It's a celebration of God's goodness. Remember that the primary reason to give thanks is the goodness of God. And the pilgrims, having arrived here in America, having gone through a terrible, terrible winter and experienced a lot of hardship and disease, and death. When spring finally broke and they had uh, food to eat, they were able to get game with pheasants and turkeys and other kind of fowl. When they had been able to grow mace and uh, had food to eat, they wanted to celebrate the goodness of God, which is seen in His bounty. We're in the Thanksgiving season coming up soon. And we are to rejoice in God's goodness. To put it another way, God is not stingy in His dealing with us. We do not come to a God who grudgingly doles out His blessings. But He showers them upon us. He pours out His blessings upon us. Nehemiah 9.25 And they captured fortified cities and a fertile land. They took possessions of houses, full of every good thing, hewn cisterns, vineyards, olive groves, fruit trees, and abundance. So they ate, were filled, and grew fat, and reveled in thy great goodness. It was the goodness of God to bring the children of Israel to the land of Canaan, a promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. We are looking forward to going to another promised land, being in the very presence of God, in which we're going to experience again His bounty, His goodness. The uh, Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. He's blessed us with every blessing there is to have. He does not withhold a single blessing for us when we are in His presence. Whatever the blessing is that is imaginable, is going to be ours in His presence because He is abundantly good and He delights in doing good. So the application of understanding God's goodness. First, the application for praise and worship. It would be terrifying if God were not good. I've been trying to approach these attributes of God in some kind of logical succession. And when I say a logical succession, uh, I don't know that 
that there is such a thing. Uh, I, I believe that one way to view the, the attributes of God is to see God as the central core and then emanating off of God are all these, these attributes. And so if you think of a, a wheel and you think of spokes, uh, I would tend to think, if that's a proper way to think about God, the hub of God is His holiness. And we'll get there, the holiness of God. That's at, the, that's at the central core of who God is. And the reason I say that is twofold. One, because we have the try uh, glorification of God in Isaiah chapter 6. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the descriptive title of the third person of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit. And we certainly could refer to the Holy Father. And we could certainly refer to the Holy Son. But the descriptive title of the Holy Spirit is He's the Spirit of Holiness. That His primary ministry is one of making us holy. And so I believe that holiness is at the very core center of who God is. And out of that holiness emanates a goodness. Goodness of God is the source of hope. Uh, excuse me. Uh, it would be terrifying if God were not, were not good. This, again, builds off of what I said last week. I said I was trying to deal with these in some kind of logical succession. And the reason for the logical succession is last week we looked at the omnipotence of God. God is all-powerful. And I said that if it were not for the other attributes of God, it would be terrifying to think of an almighty God who does whatever he desires uh, if he would just be this awful dictator. But we need to be thankful that we serve a good God. Not a bad God, not an evil God, but a good God and a God who does good. And so we should rejoice, give praise, and thanks. Number two, the goodness of God is the source of hope. Psalmist says in Psalm, one, uh, Psalm 27, verse 8, I would have despaired. I would have given up. I, I would have thrown in the towel. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Psalmist said so many times, he went through so many difficulties. Psalmist David would not have known where to turn except that he expected to see God's goodness while he was yet alive. He expected to experience that. The goodness of God is the source of comfort. Psalm 131, verse 19. How great is thy goodness, which thou hast stored up for those who fear thee, which thou hast wrought for those who take refuge in thee before the sons of men. Thou dost hide them in the secret place of thy presence from the conspiracies of man. Thou dost keep them secretly in a shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has made our marvelous, he has made marvelous his loving kindness to me in a besieged city. God is good. The goddess of good is the source of satisfaction. In Isaiah, it says, why do you spend money for that which is not bread? And your wages for that which is not satisfied? Listen carefully to me. And eat what is good. And delight yourself in abundance. 
In the context, it's the Word of God. And God is good in giving us His Word. But it asks the question, why do you delight in that which is not good? See, God takes pleasure. God delights in doing good and being good. And what we need to realize is that life cannot be satisfied without doing good and without being good. We live in a culture that is trying desperately to be satisfied. They're seeking that satisfaction in materialism, hoping that they can spend their way to satisfaction, hoping that they can get one more gadget, one more item that is going to satisfy them, but it never works. But inwardly, people are dissatisfied. And so they seek for other spouses, they seek for other things that they're looking for, satisfaction. People are unhappy with their lives. And so we have a culture that centers upon self-esteem and trying to build up people's sense of self-worth, of self-value. But you see, if we're not doing what is good, we can never really be satisfied. We never can be really happy with ourselves. We can't look in the mirror and be satisfied when we have a guilty conscience. We can't be satisfied when we know that we've harmed other people. When we know that we have been selfish. When we know that we have hurt other people. That is not satisfying behavior. We must be good in order to experience satisfaction. In order to experience true, lasting joy. So the goodness of God is the source of satisfaction. As I learn to delight in what He delights in, as I learn to delight in what He has provided, then I'm going to be satisfied. There's a psalm that many people pervert. They twist the meaning of the psalm on its head. And that is, delight thyself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Some people have taken that to mean delight yourself in the Lord and then the cars and the houses and everything else are going to come. He's going to give you that which brings you pleasure. But the thought really is when you delight in the Lord, when you delight in the things that He delights in, then you're going to find your heart's desire is met. Then you're going to experience satisfaction. Then you're going to experience joy and contentment. Then you're going to know peace. The things that our heart longs for are going to be fulfilled in our relationship to God. Five. The goodness of God is the source of joy. Jethro rejoiced for all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel. As I've said repeatedly, the goodness of God is the source of thanksgiving. So I'll move on to chapter 7, uh, verse uh, 
Number seven, the goodness of God is the object of our praise. Praise the Lord and give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Application for a life of godliness. First, we are to seek to manifest God's goodness in our lives. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all men. Always, without exception, seek after that which is good for one another, for our brothers and sisters in Christ, and not only for our brothers and sisters in Christ, but for all human beings. We are called to do good to all. Not evil, not harm, good. Galatians 6.10 So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially to those who are the household of faith. We have a primary responsibility to our fellow believers. But, again, we're to do good to everyone as we have opportunity. And then secondly, we must realize our dependence upon God for that goodness. Paul writes in Romans 7:18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. I love that particular translation. The doing of the good is not. The actions of doing good is not in us. We're not capable of it. Paul desires it, but he does not find within himself that capability, for it uniquely belongs to God. Don't get frustrated. (laughs) Don't get frustrated. Be humbled by the many times in which we don't respond to people the way that we should. When we aren't good, when we get angered, when we're bitter, when we're selfish, when we put ourselves first, we are always, as long as we are in these bodies and not in the presence of God, going to struggle with doing good. For Jesus said, no one is good but God. Galatians 5, and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and now the word, goodness. Goodness. How is goodness promoted in our lives? Answer, it's promoted in our relationship to God. His Spirit is going to produce a goodness in us. That's why we need to pray for it. That's why we need to read the Scriptures and allow them to richly dwell within us so that it transforms our character, transforms our desires, transforms our being. But it's not going to be had simply by a resolve, a decision that we make. Because, Paul says, I've tried that, and the wishing is there, but the power is not. God alone is good. 
May we rejoice in that goodness. And may we learn to rejoice in that goodness in others. I had all these children and teenagers uh, stand (laughs) tonight, and, and there are many. And you're at different ages. And some of you are dating. Some of you are looking forward to dating. Some of you are at an age where you're going to get serious about dating and looking for someone to uh, marry. And uh, let me just say to you, it's absolutely essential that you marry a Christian. Let me go one step further and say that not only should you marry a Christian, but a dedicated Christian. And there are many, many reasons of why that is so important. And one of the answers is so that you experience goodness. Goodness. Proverbs 31 asks the question, where are you going to find a faithful woman? And one of the characteristics is her husband safely trusts in her for she does him good. All the days of her life. What a blessing to have someone in your life who's good, who treats you with kindness, abundance, and wants what is best for you. Of all the characteristics that you could look for in a spouse, Look for goodness. That's what you can be thankful for. That's what you ought to praise them for. That's what you ought to rejoice in. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for Your goodness. And we thank You for the goodness that You manifest in us. We know that it is not a part of our own nature, for we are sinful. It comes from You. Lord, we pray that You would make us more good, uh, that you would create a greater amount of goodness in our lives, a greater hungering for goodness. And Lord, uh, uh, to learn to celebrate and rejoice in goodness, first yours, that we might praise you and that we might glorify you and that we might thank you. And then in those around us, that we might praise people for their goodness. We might be thankful to people when we experience their goodness. And Lord, that we'd be long-suffering and gentle towards one another when we don't experience goodness because we're finite, we're limited, we struggle in being and doing good. But when we're around people who really, really try to be good people, by the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. Help us to rejoice and what a privilege and blessing that is. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. And go in peace.